The Torah portion uh, comes from, of course, the book of Exodus, where we're studying the book of Shemot. And the portion is called Truma, T-E-R-U-M-A-H, Truma. Um, this is a favorite portion. No, it's not a portion because they don't know the Torah is divided into portions probably, but this is a great section for pastors. Why do pastors love this particular, this little introductory section? Because it's a good opportunity to find something useful in the Old Testament about tithing. You can dig in and say, we can talk about how we should give to God. Look at those Israelites. I mean, look, look at them. They were worthless. They couldn't follow one command, but yet they still brought their tithes. That's what you need to be doing. We're having a capital campaign today. But the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts from me from every person whose heart so moves him. And these are the gifts that you shall accept from them, gold, silver, and copper. And he goes on to say, so that I may make a sanctuary within them, basically. Like, I'm going to be with them. So whatever they want to bring, tell them to bring it. And it's interesting to consider that. What would determine whether or not God was going to dwell in their midst was what their heart was led to give. Because he didn't command this to be done. He said, if you would like to have me dwell in your midst, in other words, if your heart is so inclined, bring the things we need to make that and I will come with you. I will be with you. That's a pretty significant call where God, the sovereign master of all creation, who could do an old uh, snap or a twinkle of the nose like the old 70s show and things happen, and create some lavish, awesome, amazing tabernacle says, nope, you bring it, and then I'll be there. So the idea of co-laboring with God is not an, it's not a, it's in the Bible, let's just say that. It's in the Bible. It's not made up, right? And so their hearts determine this, and, and they brought gifts, and they brought offerings. But I don't really want to talk about your money today. Um, your tithes, you know. I, I, I do not want to miss an opportunity, however, to tell you, as we're on the topic, if you're not giving to the synagogue, you're missing an opportunity. You are missing an opportunity for what we just read in the section above. God asks us to contribute to the house. Now, we don't have tithes because we don't have a temple. I mean, technically, that's not the word. What we do is a heart offering, actually, exactly this. So no, that's not our message. We're not talking about your money. But if you're not, then you're missing out. Okay, and we'll leave that there. Um, so I want to talk about something more important than your money. It's your heart. Because that's pretty much what we're talking about here. And we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're not 
we're not literally building a sanctuary. We've already done that, right? We already got your money for that. Wait, I already gave... Is he really going to do a capital campaign? We're talking about my heart to build a sanctuary? No, not a physical sanctuary. Although, these Torah scrolls in here could use some dressing up. So if you'd like to give money to the sanctuary and the building up the Torahs and putting the beautiful crowns and the breastplates, I'm not opposed to it. See me after services. We'll set up a deal. I'm talking about something very, 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 very important about how your heart should be moved. So here's my question. What is Nachamu Ami? What is Nachamu Ami? Outside of the obvious that it is a synagogue, it is also something else. How about congregation? Is this a congregation? It is a congregation. Ada in Hebrew. Listen to this definition. Okay, ready? Ada. A stated assemblage, specifically a concourse or general, a family or crowd, assembly, company, congregation, multitude, people, or swarm. So, are we a congregation? Well, Mm, yes, but if that's where it ends, we're missing something, right? An assemblage of people, a swarm, I I think maybe there's something better than that. So why don't we look at another word? Community. How about that? We're a community, right? Let's look at a definition for community. A group of people living in the same place, or having a particular characteristic in common. Man, that is awesome. That really empowers me. No, it doesn't. That was sarcasm. I know it was a little slow and dry in the delivery, but that was sarcasm. That's not the description of what I think of us when I see and read a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. I'm looking for more. So let's look at another definition. Let's try this one on for community. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. How's that one? It's better, right? It's better. A feeling of fellowship, that's that key word, with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And I, is that us? Yes. I used to think it was what we were striving for, what we were looking to be. Community! Community! We're a loving community. We love each other. It's, it's healthy. It's prosperous. It's a community of comfort. But now I realize that's not it. That's not enough. That's not what we are. We have elements of an Ada, a congregation. We have elements of a community. But here's my question. How did God choose to organize the sons of Israel. What is the term that we're most familiar with when we talk about the sons of Jacob? Reuben and Levi and Issachar and and Dan and Gad. What are those? The tribes of Israel, 
right? The tribes of Israel. They are the sons of Jacob, but they are the tribes. The word actually is derived from stick, actually in Hebrew, but tribe. What is a tribe? Well, it's a community, right? It has the things in common that I just said up there about a community. But it's much more than that. A tribe is much more than a congregation. It's much more than a community. Why? Well, I read a book and I was moved to explain to you as I filtered our congregation, our community through this book. It's a Jewish book. It's called Tribes. It was written by Seth Godin, who's Jewish, so it makes it a Jewish book. I think he's probably completely secular, but nevertheless, has anyone ever read Tribes by Seth Godin? Okay, so, man, I can't believe he's going to get up there and give a message and it's done it's based on a book that's not the Bible. Well, yes, I'm going to because it's important. It's very important from what I think it says. It caused me to reevaluate some things. So, so why would God use the word tribes? He also uses the word congregation to, to, to describe Israel. But as I asked you, what primarily comes to mind when we think of the blank of Israel? It's either the children of Israel, which is one, or the tribes of Israel. These are the common languages. It is more than a community. Here is the definition of a tribe. A social division in a traditional society consisting of families or communities linked by social, economic, religious, or blood ties with a common culture and dialect, typically having a recognized leader. A tribe. Judy's just going to leave it up there. Okay? Social, economic, religious, blood ties, common culture, dialect, typically having a recognized leader. Don't worry about the leader part for now. I'll come back to that. That's us. That's us. Now, how and why can I get there? How and why? Well, first of all, some people are saying, a tribe? Um, what, what, what's next for Shabbat? You're going to have face paint out there and like, you know, spears for us to act like First Nations folks? Because that's what most people think of when tribes, or they think of the deep jungles of Africa, the Zulu tribes with, you know, like big facial adornments and extended necks. Tribes? You're, we're a tribe now? Um, that's like, Duh, worked for Israel, works for primitive cultures in the jungle, but uh, for us, modern folk, eh, I don't think so. You know what? You're right. It doesn't work for modern folks. You know why? Because it's extremely difficult to be a tribe. It's extremely difficult. You know why? Because it's primitive, because it's ancient, because it's bad. No. For the reasons that I'm going to tell you and the reasons that we're looking for the reasons that we want to be a tribe, more than just a congregation, more than just a community. Think about this. We have, obviously, a religious connection, right? 
I, I hope we do. I'm hoping we have that starting ground to work from. We have a religious connection. It should bind us deeply together. We have a language connection. I wish it were Hebrew, but we don't all know Hebrew. But we have these terms like Yeshua, Mashiach, Kesher teams. Uh, you know, we have a language, Kiddush. We have messianic language that binds us. And yes, those are Hebrew terms, but they're specific to us within the messianic community. If you go down to First Baptist Church and say, hey, where's the Kesher team meet? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about uh, who's saying Kiddush at Shabbat? Uh, so we have a language that binds us. You, everybody in here knows what that means, right? And most people in every Messianic synagogue around the world know what that means. But in our community, we have a language. We are linked by a common culture. We are linked by the Torah of Moses. And we are linked by the Torah of Messiah. This is what governs, at least should be what governs our community and culture. We live our lives according to the written Word of God and the teachings of our Rabbi, Yeshua the Messiah. We have a common culture. And interestingly enough, we are communities of families that in actuality are linked by blood. If you think about it. Which blood? It's obvious. The blood that Paul says in Ephesians 2 brought Jew and Gentile together. It is the blood of Messiah that links this tribe together. We are Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, one in the olive tree. And so by all definitions, we should be considered a tribe. We have a religious, cultural, language even blood connection that binds us together, right? That's much more extensive than the definition for community. So why aren't we a tribe? Why don't we refer to ourselves that way? Because it's difficult. It's difficult. But I do want to tell you, that idea of us being that is changing. Within these four walls, it's changing. It's being realized. And I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know if you've sensed it, but it doesn't matter. By the end of next week, I hope that you'll, I hope that you'll see it a little clearly and that you'll look for it. But it's changing. Because above all those things, above all those things, there's one thing that must exist in a tribe. And it is the thing that we read in the beginning of the Torah portion. The heart. The heart of the tribe must be unified. You must have this, this Love and connection and unity within your heart. See, when, Israel, when, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they weren't really tribes. They were the children of Israel, but something happened at Mount Sinai. Yes, they had blood connections. 
Yes, they lived in the same society, but, but everything changed at Sinai. They accepted this constitution from God. They, they became something much, much closer. And they began to interact more than just, well, Levi, you stay over there. Judah, you stay over here. We're going to be in our communities. No, everybody worked together because they had a unified heart for whose heart so moves them. It's the heart of the people that makes a tribe. It's the heart for the mission. It's their heart for each other. And in that case, and in our case, it's the heart for God, primarily above all things. The people desired that God would dwell in their midst. They had this unified vision. But God tested them. You don't think of it as a test, but it's a test. Hey, I'll do this for you. If you'd like me to, do this. That's a test. If you don't care about it, fine, don't worry about it. If your heart's not in it, if your heart's not in it, don't worry about it. That is not a tribe. That is not a connection. It was not mandatory for them to bring their gifts. It is not mandatory for you to be a part of anything here. You can come and sit on Shabbat for 45 minutes and leave and do it again the next week or maybe not the next week or maybe not the next month or whenever. I mean, you can come and go. It's not mandatory. But when you are tribal, and I know that sounds horrible, you want to because you want to be where God wants you. You want to be with your fellow tribes people. You want to be contributing. You want to see God come and fill the place and fill you. That's different than most people go through their lives. You know why? Because most people go through their lives thinking about themselves only. Has anyone ever put themselves above someone else? Um, I have. I probably just did five times this morning somehow, not even knowing it, because it's ingrained. Like, that's the way we think. But that's not the way we think when our heart is committed to the vision and purpose and unified with a group of other people. That's why Yeshua and the Torah, and they say it, love your neighbor at least as much as yourself, hopefully more. That's a tribe. In any successful tribe, people rise to the occasion for the good of others. So why are two questions as to why we haven't been a tribe and why we are now? Number one, I said it above. A, a, a tribe cares less about itself. A person who's participating in that definition cares less about him or herself than about the good of all. Now, it's not just within these walls. Obviously, that has to happen out there. You have to be living that way. But within, especially within your tribe, within your people, within your unified heart people, 
we've not really gotten there. Now, we have been close, we've had good times, but sadly something broke along the way each and every time. Something broke. Disagreements, agendas, problems. A healthy tribe can handle all those things. Disagreements, dissents, discussions, questions. A healthy tribe can handle all that. Why? Because the heart is unified. And you understand that it's all for the good and we can work it out in love. But in an unhealthy tribe, there are unhealthy hearts. And I'm not talking about, just to clarify, tribe. I mean, I know the connotations of tribe. We're not talking about a cult. We're using this definition broadly as it's here on the screen. Number two, I'm going to beat myself up a little bit here, just very quickly. Because that's not ever really a good thing to do unless it's standing before Hashem. Because repentance is an important part of things. But... Part of that tribal definition, having a recognized leader. Leaders must lead. And part of that process is empowering other people to lead. It is maybe the most important thing that leaders do. They can walk through crises, they can counsel, they can do any number of things. But the test of true leadership will be, what do you leave behind? How many leaders did you raise up? What kind of tribe did you build? And for a long time in this synagogue's history, Kelly and I led. We led, the two of us led. I mean, there were obviously participants and we had elders and we had little things like that. But, but for the most part, Kelly and I just tried to do it all. It wasn't successful. It never is. It never is. Because that's not what tribes do. Okay, that's the end of the beating up. It wasn't that bad, was it? I, I barely felt it. Kelly and I, thank God, were given some help, outside help from people within the synagogue. How were they helping us to see that? Because they were sitting over there saying, I want to help. I want to help. I want to be included. I want to do something. Please, please, please. You know when it started? You know when the transition really started, what I'm seeing here and what I want to communicate? It started with Kesher teams. Of all crazy things, it started with Kesher teams. Tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts from me for every person whose heart so moves him. Whose heart could be moved to cut up celery and strawberries and then clean it up afterwards? Is that like really cool? Not really. Did it have and is it having a major impact? Did it change the entire trajectory and feeling within the congregation? Why was Kesher important? I will take you courtesy of Rabbi Sachs to a life-changing idea number 19. He has a list of 
ideas and life-changing moments. You ready for it? Life-changing idea 19. The effort you put into something does not just change the object. It changes you. The greater the labor, the greater the love for what you have made. A study was done where they gave these people pieces of paper and they helped them craft little origami figures. Right? Everybody know what origami is? Okay. So they gave them paper, they crafted them up and made their thing. Probably some of them weren't very good. But the question was asked at the end, how much would you pay for your origami figure that you have here? The people who made the figures... I'll pay 25 cents. I'd like to have it, 25 cents. They took their figures out onto the street and to people who didn't make them and asked them, how much would you pay for this? They say, ha, ah, maybe a nickel. Do you see the point? We value what we make. There is value in what we choose to invest in. We value what we make. The same reason people gave more than was needed for the tabernacle, even though it wasn't required. We value what we make. Why did they keep bringing, and that comes later in Exodus, you know, remember when Moses says, okay, okay, stop, it's enough. Why did they keep on bringing? Why didn't they bring a little thing of gold and say, okay, Here's what we're willing to give. Why? Because as they saw the tabernacle being constructed and they said, hey, I did that. I want to do more. I have more. If I did this, it could be used here. If I did this, it could be used here. And they kept on because we value what we make. And we're finally making something. And it's not two hours a day on a Saturday where we face the same direction, sing some songs, shake hands, and go home. That is not even a community. It might be a congregation. It's not even a community, and it's certainly not a tribe. We're finally making something. And within that, people are finding value. We have had good phases, good times, many good people who've been a part of NAMS who've come through the years. People that to this day, I love them. I still love them. I have relationships with them. And I'm incredibly thankful for the people through the years who, as their heart led, brought contributions to the synagogue and helped us to, to be where we are. But I will say this because it's the truth. This ultimately was not their tribe. And I'm not mad or upset. Not mad at them because they're not a part of the tribe. Sometimes you just don't get to pick your tribe. You know why? Because it's in your heart. Maybe God puts it there. Maybe you listen and maybe you get connected. Sometimes you don't. But, but that wasn't... This isn't their tribe because, being quite honest, 
Not everyone belongs in this tribe. I cannot believe he said that. One can argue that this tribe is about salvation. It's about Yeshua. Why are you possibly suggesting that everyone shouldn't be in this tribe? I am suggesting everyone should be in the big tribe of followers of Yeshua, disciples of Yeshua, saved, salvation, all those words. But that's a really big tribe and we need to help people get there. But that's not our tribe necessarily. That's not the only thing that defines us. That is the central component. Messiah and the Torah of God. But, but that, that doesn't have to be it, and it's not it. Because it's just that being part of this, this, this particular thing is not for everyone. And guess what? That's just okay. Because healthy tribes don't go begging for people to join them. They don't have to. They don't have to. But I'll tell you this too, it's okay that everyone doesn't want what we have. It is okay. We can, be a, we can be a seed, a breadcrumb along the way. Maybe we can be the ones who lead them to Yeshua. But, but it's okay if, if they're not here. I always have spent so much time worrying about the fact that this <laughs> the front row is empty. We're going to fail. Uh. We're not going to fail because it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't matter how many people are here or not here. When the ones who are here are part of the tribe, it doesn't matter. And I don't have to worry about it. And I can be a much better leader when I'm not worried about seats. And everyone who is here taking up a seat has a role and something to do if they're willing to take it. And I'll tell you why we don't need everybody. Because life is too doggone short for theological arguments and bickering about, well, he heck. I can't believe you said that. It reminds me of a time when I was, I was giving this, well, I'm not even, I'm not gonna do that because that will, that will take me way off. Life is too short for theological debates and arguments being a consistent central part of your tribe. As a matter of fact, it's my job to remind you of that. Do you know why it's my job? Because Paul tells Timothy this, Remind them. Remind them in 2 Timothy 2.14. Keep reminding people of this and charge them solemnly before the Lord not to engage in word battles. They accomplish nothing useful and are a catastrophe for, he says, the hearers for the tribe. 
They're a catastrophe for the tribe. But I already told you once up above, dissent, discussion, disagreement, Judaism is built on that. You've got 6,000 pages in that room in one set of Jewish books about discussion, disagreement, and argument. We're built on it. But we have the heart to handle it. We have a tribal heart. And they'll happen. Agreements, disagreements, they'll happen. And we will work through them because we're unified in heart. And we're all those things. That is if you recognize me as your leader. Take me to your leader. Diversity in the tribe. We have an unbelievable group of people in this room. And every Shabbat. Although if you're listening to this on audio and you're not here, you're not as incredible as these people in this room. (laughs) People who, when I look around, are not all the same. We are not automatrons. We are not robots. Although if I wasn't like, if I wasn't in the position I am where I have to keep you awake while I talk, I could totally use my regular voice, which does sound exactly like a robot, and you would fall asleep. In high school, they called me Mr. Roboto. People who, while not all the same, but you don't have to be all the same in a healthy tribe. As illustrated by the tribes of Israel. Did Levi and Judah have the same purpose? Did Dan and Gad have the same purpose? They had callings. Levi is what? The priesthood, right? Judah is what? The kings. Dan is what? What is Dan? Judges, right? We've created something here that shouldn't work. You know it? What we have shouldn't work. You know that thing about you can please some of the people some of the time and you can, and how's the rest of it go? Yeah, that. You can't please everybody, whatever that is, whatever, however it works out. But what we've done here is something that shouldn't work. Because between 9 o'clock and 12.30 in these four walls, like, you could not be covering more diverse ground from from, uh, completely Hebrew prayers to, I will sing unto the Lord for He is triumphed gloriously. We're singing like country songs. And then, I mean, we just, this shouldn't work. But it does work. And, and it's been an unbelievable trans, transition and growth where we have found a way, God has found a way to feed the people from the buffet line. What you want to take, take. What you don't, leave for someone else. So if you don't love Shachrit and you don't love the Torah service, 
you're still part of the tribe. If you don't love, you know, 45 minutes of music because you'd rather be praying Shakrit, you're still part of the tribe. But guess what? In a healthy, unified tribe, people aren't looking at that saying, I hate that music. Yeah, why are they praying in Hebrew like that? They don't do it because we understand our diversity and we respect and love one another from where we are. And we know, we know that God is with us. A tribe doesn't demand allegiance, it earns it. Its members demonstrate to others why they would want to be a part of this tribe. And especially in a godly tribe, our connection is to God first, each other second. And from that flows the beautiful experience that we have and will continue to see at Nachamu Ami and our tribe. I'm just going to say it again. Our tribe is not for everyone, but it's open to anyone. That's the key thing I want you to hear. Our tribe is not for everyone, but it's open to anyone whose heart is so moved, as God said to Israel, if you want me to come, I will. Bring me something as your heart is moved. Our tribe is not for everyone, but it's open to anyone whose heart is so moved. We want to build something for the kingdom. And so speaking of building, we've always been building. We've always been building since 2009. And these, well, yeah, 2009. We had made it in here by 2009 toward the end. We've always been building. We've been trying. I think maybe we've been striving. And there's a time to strive, but most of the time it's not necessarily the best way. Because when I hear striving, I associate it with my own effort. Right? Like, and sometimes you need that. We've talked a lot about how God's not just like, He's waiting for you to do something. Okay? So don't think I'm, oh, forget it, tangent. We've always been building something, but now, right now, we're really getting started. How can you say that, Damien? I mean, what are you, what are you basing it on? Well, I know that this has been a journey. It's been a run. It's been a terrifying race at some times. Kelly and I, like running, imagining in dreams, running as fast as we can. Oh, what have we done? Ah! But as I looked around last week, and I really listened around last week, I saw and heard the sound of a healthy tribe. Who is building a movement. The Messianic movement. Who's heard that word before? The Messianic movement. We're part of the movement. What does that even mean? I don't actually know. 
I, I don't know, because there's so much lack of clarity, theological arguing and confusion that it's really actually hard to tell what the Messianic movement is. So I'm not exactly sure that's what we're building because I don't know what the heck it is. But I want to tell you what a movement should be. And this is a little teaser for next week where we picked up, pick up. A movement should be thrilling. A movement should be thrilling. And what we, and, and please hear me and understand what I'm saying when I say this. What we and Messianic Judaism have been up to this point I would not categorize it with the word thrilling. Okay? A movement should be thrilling. What does that even mean, Damien? Well, you know what thrilling is. With certainty, count on it, take it to the bank, 100% certainty. I can tell you something is happening here. God has shown me. He's shown others. And next week, we will discuss the importance of building and blossoming, prospering the tribe of Nachamu Ami for the glory of God. Shabbat Shalom.